Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. What sets Christianity apart from any other religion? When we may have different general beliefs and traditions, what makes us all different is that we worship a different God. Some people follow Buddha, Hindu Brahman, Islamic Allah, or even the Mormon or Jehovah's Witnesses impression or interpretation of Jehovah, all of whom are different from our triune God. We Christians worship the one true God of the Bible who manifests himself in the Trinity. It is so important to really know our God so we're not deceived by the sound-alikes or the false gods of the world or even other religions. Our God loves us and wants a genuine relationship with us. So he's consistently reaching out to us so we can know him, follow him, serve and obey him rather than the gods of the world. I'm Debbie Blank, praying that the Holy Spirit will touch your heart to give you a deeper understanding of our God. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. Who is God? Atheists will tell you that there is no God. Agnostics will say you can't be sure. Pagans and others believe in many, maybe even thousands of gods. And New Agers will tell you that not only are they God, so are you. We're all God, and some even look to AI as the new God. So how do we know the truth about God? And if there is only one true, sovereign creator God, wouldn't it be important to know for sure? Because our very lives would depend on it. Yet even those who believe in one true God have different ideas about Him. So today we'll explore how to really know the one true God. And we are going to start by jumping into Scripture. Because you see, we have to have a plumb line to understand who God is. And He's given it to us in the Bible. The Bible is God's inspired Word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God. That means God breathed. So God used about 40 different men over the course of 1,600 years to write these 66 books. But if you're familiar enough with the Bible, you know that it's all cohesive. From Genesis to Revelation, it all blends together. And there's no contradictions. There may be some things we don't understand, but there's no contradictions because God wrote it, even though men penned it. So we want to learn about our one true God. And so we'll start with the fact that he is love. Now that is so important to us because we are creatures of love. And we're loved because God created us in the image of God. Now that doesn't mean that God has arms and legs and a face like we do, because the Bible says that he is spirit. But he gave us a soul, a heart, a longing to have a relationship with him because he created us to do that. I mean, think back about it. Why did God create the world? Why did he create us? He did it to have a relationship with us. So the question is, will we turn to him with that relationship? And if we do, the reason we would is because of the love that he shows us. You might think, well, all gods are gods of love, 
but that's not really true. There are so many gods that are gods of war. Even if we think back to what we would remember about the Roman or the Greek gods in mythology, and that was mythology to some people, but real true worship to the people who were involved in that, there were gods of war, literal gods of war. And even today, in some religions, there are gods of war or gods who advocate violence in the spreading of that religion. That's right. And yet, 1 John 4, 8 tells us, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That's how we can love, because we have the example of our Heavenly Father. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Love isn't just a feeling, an emotion that we have because someone cares for us or does something good for us. God's love, agape love, is an unconditional love where he pours out his care and his compassion and his mercy and his grace on us because of that relationship, that unconditional love where it's not based on what we do, but it's based on who he is how refreshing that is. If it was based on what we do, we could never match up to God's love. 1 John 3, 1 says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. We're children of God because God gave us that opportunity, and he did it through Jesus Christ. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the true love passage of scripture. And then because of that, I'm reminded of Romans 8, 38 and 39, where Paul wrote about the Lord. He said, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. No matter what we do, we cannot be separated from God if we have committed our lives to Jesus Christ as Lord. And what a tremendous blessing to know that the one true God, the most powerful entity in the universe, is based on love. And that kind of love that's so perfect and so powerful, and includes us because he desires that relationship with us, is just a tremendous blessing. And that's, again, what I said earlier, was why he created the world, so that he could create man to live in the world, and he did that because he loves us. We know from Isaiah forty-five twelve that God is our creator. That says, it is I who made the earth and created man upon it. I stretched out the heavens with my hands, and I ordained all their hosts. We're studying the book of Genesis on Tuesday evenings, and it's been so wonderful to really understand our Creator God, both from His Word and from the world that we see around us. I'm not going to go into all of that now, but just think about it. How is it possible that a Big Bang happened? And everyone is made so intricately as we're made with our DNA and our personalities and all that other stuff. And by the way, if we were evolved from apes or any other animal, then we would just be an animal. We wouldn't understand love like we have now because we're made in the image of God. 
Exactly. He created us in his image. Because he's our creator, he has authority over us. It's just right that the creator has authority. And so we need to respect that authority and we need to be obedient to it. And when we talk about God being love, then that means that we should operate in love as well. In honor of our creator, we know that's the way he wants us to operate with each other, that we are to love one another as well. Yes, because the qualities that he has, he wants us to have also. Obviously, we are not gods. We will never be gods. Even when we go to heaven, we will not be. But he wants us to be more like him each and every day as we build that relationship with him so that we can be loved to one another. And then we're told that God is life. In Genesis 2, 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a human being. Because God is life, he was able to breathe that life into man. It says in John 1, 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now that's talking about Jesus there. But the point is, is that God is life. He's not a God that glorifies death or suicide or murder. It happens. And there are times when he even said in the Old Testament that people had to do that for certain reasons. But he's a God of life that wants us to have life physically and then also wants us to have life spiritually so that we can be one with him one with him in love, and one with him in this life, and then in eternal life. And what you're describing is so intimate, and that he would take his life and breathe his life into us is such an intimate and close relationship. It is. And because he wants to have that eternal life with us, that means that he's eternal. He existed before there was an existence. He's eternal. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's present, active, and working through natural means with his creation, while at the same time, he's separate and above the creation and working through miracles. So we have Genesis 1-1 that reminds us, in the beginning, God created. It just tells us that God created in the beginning because God was in the beginning. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when Moses said to God, who shall I tell them sent me? When he goes to the Israelites who are in Egypt and God said, tell them I am who I am. Well, what is I am? That's kind of a strange name. It really means Jehovah or Yahweh, but it means he's eternal. He existed before, he exists now, and he will always exist in the future. And also in 1 Timothy 1.17, we are told now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The Bible tells us that he is eternal, but his actions do also. And his actions are the way that we can tell and believe in something that we can't see because it says that God is invisible. But just because we can't see God doesn't mean that he doesn't exist and that the things that he does aren't really apparent to us. Along with that, as I've already said, God is spirit. John 4, 24 says, God is spirit, and those who worship him, worship him in spirit and truth. So we don't want to equate God with us and how he looks, because that would bring him down to our level of humanity. He is instead spirit. He's not limited by a human body. He exists and operates within his creation, and he transcends his creation. Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24 says it best, maybe, where God said, Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? 
Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I don't see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? And the answer is he does because he's spirit. He is everywhere at all times. Now, Satan, who is the opposite of God, obviously, is not everywhere all the time. He could only be in one place at a time because he was created. Our God is not created. He was in the beginning, and he will be forever and ever also. Makes me think of that song, God is Watching Us from a Distance, that was popular a few years back. I always thought that sounded like he was way far away on some cloud, and he had his binoculars, and he was looking down on us. But really what you're explaining as God being spirit is he is everywhere. And it says, am I not a God who is near? So he's within us through the Holy Spirit. He's all around us. He surpasses any of our understanding of what it's like to be limited in a body because he's not limited at all. Psalm 139, 7 through 10 says that same thing. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. Scripture is full of examples of how God is always present. And he knows and he sees everything too, which means he's omniscient. Psalm 139 again, verses one through four say, O Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it. God knows everything. That's why he knows you and I intimately. He says also in Psalm 139, before I was created in the womb, he knew me. He knows everything about us. He knows what we're going to say before we even say it, according to that verse, before we even think it, he already knows. So he knows us better than we know ourselves. And he loves us anyway. It's that unconditional love that caused him to send Jesus to save us from our sins. And we're so glad he did. He's also omnipotent, all powerful. Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? That same idea was quoted by Mary when she was told that she was going to be the mother of a child as a virgin. And she said, is anything too difficult for God? Well, that certainly is impossible, but not for God because he's our sovereign ruler, our supreme ruler. He reigns over all. Psalm 103, 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heaven and his sovereignty rules over all. Not yours, not mine, not our governments. It's God's. And then we can look at God's natural attributes. I mean, there are a plethora of them. If we just consider he's alive, that's the I am statement of who he is. He shows his personality through his names. If you do a study on the names of God, it's so fascinating to see who he is, his character, and his relationship with us through his names. For example, in Genesis twenty-two 14, we're familiar with Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. That's just one name that we hold on to, but there's so many more. He's infinite. He is limitless in time and space. No one else is, but only God. He's immutable, unchanging. That's important to me because everything around us changes. Our world is changing. Our government's changing. Work changes. All kinds of things change. 
I don't like change, <laughs> but God doesn't change. Malachi 3, 6, for I, the Lord, do not change. I can depend on him to be 100% faithful and true and the same God yesterday, today, and forever. There's nothing that will change in his character, in his actions, in his performance because of who he is. And when we talk about him being infinite and limitless in space and time, Acts 17, 24, and 25 states, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. So he provides everything for all of us. Oh, we're so glad he does it. On top of all that, we have God's moral character to look at. He's holy, absolutely pure and perfect. He's righteous. He's just, he's faithful. He keeps his promises. We could go on and on. Everything about God is the epitome of righteousness, of perfection, of the holiest, the most moral character there is. And with all that God is, he chooses to disclose himself to us in so many ways, but one's through nature. I love Romans 1.20 that says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what's been made, so that they're without excuse. So if people have never met God or heard God or gone to religious service, they can see God through nature. We can see God through history. Acts 14.6 says, In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their ways. We see him through historical events like the flood. God works in so many ways. Plus, of course, he's working individually through each one of us in our lives through his Holy Spirit, who we'll talk about next week. And he works through his divine speech. Do you know that when God created the heavens and the earth, he did it through words? He spoke creation into being. He will speak destruction into being at the Battle of Armageddon in Revelation 19. So this is our God. He wants to have a relationship with us because he loves us. It says in Galatians 3.26, you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And not only that, but he predestined us to adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to Ephesians 1.5. The question is, will we have a relationship with him? Because our almighty God so wants to have a relationship with us, he has taken his oneness of being one God and allowed himself to be manifested in three ways. One is God the Father. One is Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, who became man to die for our sins. And one as the Holy Spirit. That way we can have a relationship with God because no one has ever seen God the Father at any time. And yet through Jesus Christ, Jesus reveals him to us. So we need Jesus to be able to see God and understand God. Because Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, there's only one God. And in the New Testament, that's confirmed in 1 Corinthians 8, 4, that there's no God but one. And yet our God is manifested in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll learn more about Jesus and the Holy Spirit in the next couple of weeks. But we must understand that that triune Godhead sets us apart from any other religion. And you say, well, how can God be one and be three? 
Well, he's not three. He's one. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, the Hebrew word for God is Elohim. I am, the end of Elohim, is plural, and yet the verb there is singular. So we have one God with three aspects to him, and yet he's one God because it's a singular verb. And it's the perfect way for him to reveal himself to us in ways that we can try to understand, but that concept is still a mystery because God so surpasses our limited ability to understand the vastness of a holy God. And the fact of the matter is we must believe God through faith. And faith means believing in something that you haven't seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, according to Hebrews 11.1. We haven't seen God. We have seen Jesus. We don't see the Holy Spirit. But we have a plumb line, the Word of God, that tells us all about the three aspects and also tells us that God is one. So that's an aspect of faith that we take by faith, not because we see it, but by faith. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Understanding the Trinity comes by faith. But God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit are one God. And that sets us apart from every other religion. So Debbie, you mentioned the Trinity. It's a word that encompasses the manifestation of God, one God in three persons. But can you explain that? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit being one. All right. Each one of the personalities of the Trinity has a different responsibility, you might say. God the Father, for example, is seated on the throne in Revelation 5, as well as Isaiah 6, 1. In Exodus 20, Verses two and three, that passage says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. So God says right there, I am the sovereign God. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. You would have no other gods. God will not allow any other gods to be before him. Isaiah 42, eight states, I alone am the Lord your God. No other God may share my glory. And Hebrews 1, 3 states that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. If Jesus and the Holy Spirit were not God, then they would not have the power that we see them have as God in Scripture. God is one God. He is the sovereign God. He is the one seated on the throne. He is the one we pray to. If you recall, in John, we're told to pray to God through the name of Jesus, because Jesus is our entry into God the Father. God the Father is seated on the throne. We can't see him, not until we get to eternal heaven in in Revelation 21 and 22. So he is the ultimate God. And then we have Jesus. Now, obviously, Jesus is ultimate God also. Jesus is called the Son. He is not created. He was in the beginning, he is now, and he ever will be. As a matter of fact, John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and apart from him, nothing was made that has been made. That tells us that Jesus is eternal, that he was there at creation. And we know from studying Jesus in the Word that he has all the attributes that we just talked about regarding God. 
what sets him apart in his responsibility is he came to earth to be also become man so that he could be the perfect sacrifice to pay the penalty for mankind's sin. And then we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within us, according to Acts 1.8. We're told there that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and the remotest parts of the earth. Because the Holy Spirit, when he indwells us, is God indwelling us. Jesus told us that he needs to leave so the helper will come. The helper is the Holy Spirit. We know from Acts 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, that when they sinned, they lied to the Holy Spirit, Peter said. Then Peter goes on that passage to say, Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So he's equating the Holy Spirit there to God, telling us that the Spirit is God. And again, getting back to creation, in Genesis 1-2, we see that the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. So God the Father was at creation, Jesus the Son was at creation, and the Holy Spirit was at creation. The Holy Spirit's goal is to teach us all things about God, to be our intercessor along with Jesus between us and God the Father. They all have their distinct responsibilities. We need each one of them, and yet they're one, one God. Impossible to understand. Some people equate it with something like me, uh, for example. I'm a daughter, a wife, and a mother. I'm the same person, but I have three responsibilities. Now, that's really a poor example because we can't give a good example in human terms, but we have to believe by faith because that's the only way we can understand impossible situations. Believing anything else about the God that we have just shared with you, God the Father and the fact of the Trinity, means that we don't believe in the one true God of the Bible. Our God is who he says he is, and he's manifested, as we'll see next week, in Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit. That's how we see him, that's how we know him, and that's how we believe in him, along through the Bible and through his Spirit. God says in Jeremiah 33, 3, Call to me and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and mighty things that you do not know. If you don't understand the Trinity, if you don't know the Trinity, if you don't even know God, but you'd like to know him more, call to him. I call that God's phone number, Jeremiah 33, 3. He'll answer you. If you come to him, he will give you every answer there is through his Holy Spirit, because he wants to have that relationship with you. Do you want to have that relationship with him? That's what it amounts to. God will do anything to draw you to him. And everything sometimes. The question is, will you respond? And if so, it's simple. You respond in faith by saying, yes, God, I believe that you are God. I know that I'm a sinner and that I can't get to heaven because of my sin. So I need a savior. And that savior is through Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. Jesus is the one who died for my sins and rose from the dead. So I can experience eternity with you, God the Father. And so I believe in Jesus. I believe in you. I want to have a relationship with you. And I surrender to you right now. Some prayer like that in faith will draw you to God and will bring you into a relationship with him. 
It's not a prayer that saves you. It's not a religion that saves you. It's a heartfelt, sincere recognition of your sinfulness and your need for repentance and a Savior that will save you. Turn to God today. And if you're not quite sure about Jesus and who he is, tune in next week because we're going to talk about him then. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.